0: Galatians 1, 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins and to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thanks, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. Before... We make introductions and everything. We're going to pray, and I'd like to invite you not just to pray for this gathering today, but we would love to join with many, many churches all over America, really, and pray for the Maranatha Chapel church family. In Rancho Bernardo, Ray Bentley, the lead pastor and founder of a church of thousands, uh, their, their church poured into our church. When we were planted, they, uh, they gave us money and prayer and, and support. And this week, their lead pastor, Ray Bentley, who I think started the church when he was like 19, and he's in his 60s. Uh, this week, he passed away due to COVID complications, completely shockingly. Um, and yeah, the whole community is reeling. And we believe God's going to do something beautiful out of the ashes, just like we sang, "Raise a Hallelujah um, up from the ashes." Because resurrection is true, God actually repurposes evil for good all over the place. However, that does not change the grief, and and but we don't mourn as those who are hopeless. And so let's pray that reality uh, for our family. If you you know if you've been in San Diego for long, you've been a Christian for long, you know about Maranatha Chapel. You may even have come from there or had history there. Um, let's just lift up that community right now, grieving the loss of their, of their leader. Heavenly Father, thank you for the legacy of love, self-giving, uh, that Ray Bentley has left behind. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, examples, and he's one of those part of this cloud of examples of faith that have gone before us and now he's in your presence a man who passionately pursued the presence of god your presence is now everything he sees and he and he and he's he's left here a community that is mourning and reeling and reorganizing and planning in ways they never imagined so meet the Maranatha Chapel family in their pain, and heal and repurpose grief and evil for gladness and good. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thanks for joining in that prayer. Um, so good morning. Good morning. My name's Evan. Uh, my wife, Sandy, and I have the joy of leading this church. Um, Ten years ago, my wife and I would know, walk the streets of North Park. And, and we had this passion to plant a church family, to be part of a new work. And, um, and we knew it involved kind of moving into another family for a while. And so we moved up to Portland for a few years. And um, we, we embedded ourselves in another culture, for a while, another family and uh, it just so happens some of those leaders are here uh, Tim and Brittany they helped plant uh, Park Hill Church. they are part of the leadership team at, at Westside who planted us that were part of the original board of directors and are still very much spiritual big brother sister kind of vibe over us um, but, but that's that's what that's what this is about. We are starting a book today uh, called Galatians. Paul Paul is writing this letter and if you could put the Galatians slide, Paul's writing this letter to remind the church they're one new family. Um, they're one and they're new. They're not multiple, they're one. Uh, that doesn't decrease the beauty of where we come from and all of our family histories and cultures. But there's a higher, there's a higher value now that unifies us uh, despite everything that wants to break us apart. And so um, this is why we're in this book. Paul writes this letter to fight for the unity of God's family Because as it happens, Christians, in in that moment, Christians were refusing to eat together. They were refusing to do table fellowship. And they were dividing over stuff that doesn't really matter anymore. Um, And Paul's like, not on my watch, over my dead body. And he writes this letter, Galatians, to fight for family unity. So Park Hill, that's why we're here. Um, In a time of increasing division, am I right? We're going to live in this letter for like 12 to 14 weeks. So today's January 9th. This will bring us all the way up to Easter, April 17th. Uh, Next week, we're gonna unpack that text that Rebecca just read, Galatians 1, 1 through 9. We're gonna get into the verses. Uh, But today, the goal is to paint the backdrop because the more we wrap our minds around what was going on when Paul was writing this letter, what was the problem and what was Paul so angry about? He, He gets angry in this letter. The more we understand that, the more it'll come alive for your life in 2022, I believe this, and I promise, it'll, it'll come alive. So today, it's a little bit of a deep dive, in, but it's not, it's actually, sure, I actually shaved like 3,000 words off of this sermon manuscript last night, actually. So, um, so, so it'll be quicker than it was originally planned to be. So here, so question, what was going on, what was going on in those early years of the church? It's an intense letter, Paul's writing, and what's the problem he's responding to? We already talked about the division, but what was dividing? So it's around the year 50, and I'm not talking 1950, like AD 50. So think think 20 years ago, Jesus just rose. Imagine being there. What happened 20 years ago in your life? You know, 9-11 just kind of happened and the world's changing. It's harder to get on airplanes, you know? So imagine 20 years ago, the cross happened, and now you're trying to figure out how to be this new community in Jesus. So there's all this turmoil and all these different ideas going on, right? And we know that the Christians were dividing. What's dividing them? What's the threat? It's actually not a threat from the outside. Um, There was persecution a little bit coming at that time, But the the big threat right now is coming from the inside. It's actually a group of Christian leaders. They had influence. They had connections. Lots of people were passing around their Facebook posts. You know, a lot of people were listening to these guys. Um, So these Christian leaders, here's what they were doing. Are you ready? They were requiring Gentile Christians to become Jewish in order to belong. They're requiring Gentile Christians to become Jewish in order to eat and drink the table of Jesus. This was a critical moment in the story of the church. Had those leaders succeeded, we might not be here today in this multi ethnic group in building 177, you know, in North America. Or either that, or we might just be like 100% less bacon in our diet, you know, we'd be kosher. This was was a crucial moment, you guys. What would be the shape of Christianity was being crystallized right now. During these first years, something happened that crystallized for us what we believe the cross did, and who Jesus was, and what the church was supposed to be, and what it looks like to follow him as the family in the world, as God's one new family. So this is a key moment. The church was drawing a circle and saying, we stand in this circle. This is where the gospel is. This is what we die for and not divide for. We're in this gospel. So church family, this is why we need this. This is why Park Hill needs this today because this problem is all too familiar for us, right? I mean, the family of God is supposed to be the new family of Jesus, but instead they're breaking up according to the old lines. The power of the past is very much gripping their filters the way they see each other. The old tribes are calling them, right? And Paul calls this division a different gospel. Actually, dividing over things that aren't gospel is the different gospel, Paul's saying. So so just to wrap our minds around this clearly, here's here's Paul, the gospel for Paul and for the New Testament, for Jesus. It's this, God has come. God has come to us, right? Right? God is with us. That's the name of Jesus. God has come to us in the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus. And because of that, now, you can be forgiven, healed, and belong in this one new family of Jesus. This belonging is available. Who? Who gets it? The one requirement. All who admit they need it. That's the requirement. It's called faith and trust. That's the requirement. You belong. You are healed. You are forgiven. You are on the journey towards the new heavens and new earth forever, eternal life. The requirement is that you admit you need the King. And and what's the outflow of the gospel? You see the tables up front, right here in this room, on the right and left. This is the 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 the, the epicenter of where you see the gospel taking root. It's this table, and so we celebrate. This reality of the kingdom by eating and drinking with one another in intimacy, not just at the table here, but in communities. That's why we brought up the community leaders, because they're hosting God's presence in his one new family, in their homes, and you're invited to be part of this, this family that's being healed and in an atmosphere of trust and vulnerability, which is very messy because the power of the past is haunting us all the time. You know, like Pete Scazzaro says, Jesus is in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. You know, that's true. And Jesus is all in his, Jesus. The power of the spirit is always working us together towards his image and away from the dysfunction that we all inherited. And, and, and that's how we celebrate table fellowship. That's where we're healed. But here's the problem. The different gospel came in and said, yes to all of that, but also become Jewish. They didn't say no to any of that. They just added a requirement. You got to change. You got to trade in your culture. That's a different gospel. And and get this. Think about this. They were doing this because they believed God wanted them to. Because it's in in the Old Testament, right? So in reality, listen. The people who thought the people who thought they were preserving the purity of the family, Paul says they were actually destroying the unity of the family. I'll say that again because that's, that's heavy. Think on how that comes into our world. The people who thought they were preserving family purity, Paul says they're actually destroying family unity. But we have to give these guys grace, right? We have to give this first church grace. Those first 20 years were wild. They were very different <laughs> from church today where you you know you get to Google you get to Yelp a church in your city when you move into town or whatever and there's a million options. So so the, the first churches were very different. One of the biggest differences almost basically everyone was a Jew, right? The church was Jewish predominantly. Jesus and that makes sense because Jesus was a Jew who taught in Israel to God's covenant people, the Jews. And so some of you right now might be like, "Wait, wait, wait a minute." Isn't Judaism a different religion from Christianity? Like if you start being a Christian, doesn't that mean you stop being Jewish? Is that, isn't that right? It's actually a really good question with no simple answer, actually. So today, in the, in the 21st century, what does it mean? To, what's a Jew? Jewishness, it's actually notoriously squishy. Hard to define, right? Some people think of it as a religion, some people say it's, a, it's an ethnicity. Other people say it's both, religion and ethnicity. You have to have both. And then there are tons of people who call themselves Jews, but don't practice Judaism or even believe in God, right? So right now in the 21st century, Jewishness is complicated. But back in the first century, not so complicated, cut and dry. When Galatians was written, being a Jew meant being a part of an ethnic group whose religion you could not separate from your culture. For first century Jews, there was no pie chart where God has a piece and country has a piece and then ethnicity. It was all interwoven. God, country, culture, race. There was no category for separating those things. So what did that mean? What what does it mean to be ethnically Jewish? This is important. This is the background. It'll really color how we bring Galatians into San Diego. So what does this mean? Uh, Ethnic Jewishness, back then, first century, first of all, you're a genetic descendant of Abraham, like biologically. And there were people that could come in, convert from other ethnicities, but they had to do that whole list, right? Primarily, you're a descendant of Abraham. And then secondly, to be ethnically Jewish meant this land, Canaan, Palestine, that was home. Wherever you are scattered around the world, your center of of the universe was the Temple Mount, Mount Zion, which is in Judea, which is in Israel. That is home. There is no other place to belong for God's people. That's what it meant in the mind of, of a Jew. And then number three, to be ethnically Jewish, it meant you did these Torah things. You did Torah. Circumcision, kosher, Sabbath, all those things. It also meant you expected that the Messiah would bring a political order To end all the others. You expected that. No wonder they expected that of Jesus. And and finally, to be a Jew, ethnically, it meant you believe you're uniquely chosen by God over other ethnicities for a purpose, a special purpose. And listen, I want to say this very clearly. All of those things are true in the Old Covenant. They weren't just making this stuff up. God revealed this. God revealed this through Moses and through Torah. So so in in a way, you can't fault them entirely because God gave them text that affirms this. And, And by the way, Jesus was one of those Jews. Did Jesus see himself this way? And the answer is a big yes. Jesus not only did he see this but he saw them he saw himself as fulfilling all this he saw himself as the point of all this so 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 Jesus was absolutely Jewish and all of that and were Jesus's 12 disciples Jewish too were they yeah all 12 so what does this all mean it means it, it means this the very first church the very first Christians they were people who both followed Jesus and went to the Jewish temple to worship, both. It's just what they did. It's what it meant to be faithful. And it's, this means they ate the bread and cup and probably circumcised their kids, ate kosher, and followed Torah as best they could. For them, following Jesus didn't mean you had to somehow leave Judaism. It was all one thing. They were like, no, 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 we're Jesus followers and Jews. It's, it's all one thing, right? Which brings us to the question, what about Gentiles? What about the other ethnicities? Or the more modern term, what about the other races? And this is where we start to feel the Galatian problem. They're working this out. Because in their minds, in the ancient Jewish mind, the world is two categories of people. It's divided up. There was Jewish ethnicity, and then there were other Gentile ethnicities. It's the everyone out there bucket, right? Again, it's important to say this was commanded in the Old Covenant. Uh, The Jews were commanded to live separately from Gentiles as part of bringing the Messiah But listen, this is what they were missing. Now that Messiah had come and poured out his Holy Spirit, that Jew-Gentile separation was no longer needed, and that was always the plan. That was always the plan. The plan was that God always wanted to make one new family out of the two. Listen, it wasn't wasn't that God wanted Gentiles to become kind of Jewish eventually, no. And it wasn't that God wanted Jews to give up Circumcision, and if they want to still eat kosher, they can. No, he didn't want one culture to eat up the other. He wanted to make one entirely new family that honored and unified both cultures. This is the vision of God. This is it. This was always the plan. But here's the problem old habits are hard to break. Jesus is in our hearts, but grandpa's in our bones. Old habits are hard to break. Plus, I mean, another thing, you got, you got to give the Jews another, like they didn't have a great history with Gentiles. Am I right? Like remember like the whole Egypt f- four century event, you know, slavery, um, not a great start. Then came the Canaanites who were bloodthirsty, sacrificing their own kids and whatever else just for their own cultural gain. And then, and then Babylonians, Babylon came and squashed the Jewish land Burned down their temple, took a whole bunch of Jews into exile. And then even after some of those Jews managed to come back to their homeland, then Alexander the Great, right? The Greeks just, just mow them down again, and they try to get systematically get rid of Jewish culture. Mass murdering Jews who kept Sabbath. And this was less than 100 years before Jesus. So when Jesus comes, who's the next oppressor? Rome. Right. And and this is almost the worst one of all because they're not out there. They're, They're just living right here. They're occupying this land. They're acting like it's theirs. They're sacrificing to their pagan gods and performing sexually immoral acts in holy places and demanding taxes and violently abusing us whenever they want. This is almost too evil to be true. And so all this history, it's just, there's a long history for Gentiles in the Jewish mind. And all this history builds up to the Galatian problem. The church starts all Jewish in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit falls. They're one ethnicity with all this history. And then, and then what would you do? If you were in that Jewish church and, and things are, Holy Spirit's coming, people are coming to faith who are Jews and suddenly the Holy Spirit's like, hey, Jews, hey, family, it's time to bring the other bucket in. It's time to bring the Gentiles. This was my plan all along. Remember Abraham, I'm going to bless all families through the one family. This is that, and it's a whole new family. Are you ready? How would you respond, given the history, given the promises, given the culture identity? The first time the church seriously considers what this means And they're beginning to change and wrestle. It was through Peter in Acts 10. You know the story. God gives Peter a vision. God tells Peter to visit the house of a Gentile named Cornelius and preach the gospel to Cornelius, a Gentile space, unheard of. And Peter's skeptical, obviously. In 1,500 years, this had never happened or wasn't supposed to. But the vision is clear. So Peter obeys Peter gets into the house. He's like, hi, I'm Peter. He's like, Gentile, hi, I'm Cornelius. We got a vision you're coming. He's like, I got a vision I'm supposed to come. And so he enters the house, and Peter preaches the gospel, and here's what happens. Acts 10, 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard, all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, see the distinction, the circumcised believers who come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just like we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus and then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. What just happened? Peter preaches Jesus, Holy Spirit falls and whatever that looks like, whatever the Holy Spirit falling (laughs) looked like, it was enough to completely convince Peter. The Gentiles are now 100% the one new family of Jesus. 100%, no asterisks. This was unmistakable, unmistakable to Peter. God had brought them out there into here and the here is even a different thing it's not that the here was our culture and they're here the here is different it's this space where ours and their cultures are equally represented and celebrated around the throne of God so what happens next Peter baptizes them and, and, and then headline gets back to Judea the Jewish church, Gentiles baptized, right? That's in the church bulletin or whatever, in the email thread. That's in the email thread. How do they respond? They're like, praise God, this is the promise to Joel. The Holy Spirit poured out, this is Ezekiel's new covenant. This is Abraham's family blessing all families. We're seeing it, praise God. That's not their, right? That's not their response, not even close. The reaction is like, Gentiles in here? It just feels wrong. This could ruin our culture, or even get us in trouble with God. Genuine. And that's the reaction Peter got. Here it is, Acts 11. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. I love it. It's not even a question. It's just a statement. It's like, you did that. You went to the wrong house, ate with the wrong people. And just silence. And so Peter, what does he do? In the next, in the next moment, he, he then tells them the story. There were visions from God on both sides. I preached Jesus in a Gentile house. The Holy Spirit fell, and then guess what? I remembered Pentecost. Do you remember Pentecost? Do you remember what Jesus said would happen? That he would baptize, not just with water, but with fire and the Spirit? And then it happened to us? And then it happened to them? This is the seal of God's approval. This is a seal of his acceptance. God gave the Gentiles, the them, the same Spirit that the we got. (laughs) Who am I to stand in God's way? and then they responded look what they responded when they heard this they had no further objections and praised god why because they received the new covenant they believed in the work of the spirit they believed that the spirit was bringing in one new family so then even to the gentiles god has granted repentance leads a life case closed They accept it. So here it is. They accept the spirit. They accept Pentecost. They accept Gentile Christians. Case closed. Church is fixed, right? Forever. No more division, ever. No more division in 2,000 years about anything. You laugh because it's obviously not even close. The fact that the spirit shows up doesn't solve all the problems. The church now has to keep working through its ethnic division and racial tension and tribal hostility by the power of the Spirit. We we know this. You guys, if you know anything about the abolition movement, the church, Christians used scripture to enslave black bodies, even in our own nation's history, but also the church, the Spirit, would break through in moments and, and cause men like Wilberforce to rise up out of those disgusting ashes and call the church a member of the church calling the church higher. God would always work against the very human tendency to other. He would always do this. This is the history. So Paul writes Galatians to this church, which is still as effective and needed as it was then as for today. And it shouldn't surprise us, you guys. This is, this is tribalism, right? It's tribalism. Tribalism is as old as human DNA. And human brokenness. And God's always working against it to create one new family in Jesus. Always. The whole story of Scripture, believe it or not, when you read the whole story of Genesis through Malachi, the Old Testament, it is God moving His people forward for the blessing of all other ethnicities, not, not the absorption or erasure of those other ethnicities. And it's messy. But that's true. Tribalism. So let's talk about that. If this is the essence of the problem behind it all, what's the first rule of tribalism? What what grounds this human impulse? Well, it's our tribe is exceptional and we diminish other tribes. That's the essence of tribalism. Our family's exceptional. And we demean or often in this day and age, we hate on other families. We hate on other movements. We hate on other tribes. Am I right? Like anybody? This shows up in complex battles, political battles like the Russian-Ukraine thing that's been going on not just for eight years, for centuries of warring over ideas about blood and soil and Owning land and being home. Russian-Ukrainian conflict. This, this, this tribalism shows up, you know, big complex examples like Brexit or here at home, Republicans versus Democrats, right? This is Protestant versus Catholic. Calvinism versus Arminianism. Or if you start thinking about high school, it's nerds versus jocks, you know? Or drama versus band. It's very important. But to turn the corner in all seriousness, in 2022, this is vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Tribalism is core to who we are as fallen humans. It's core. And listen, the point right now isn't just to make some observation about how broken we are. Not at all. Like, oh, that's interesting. We're tribal in all these ways. No, no, no. I want us to stop right now and think, what tribes do I currently identify with? And more importantly, what tribes do I diminish? Maybe invite the Holy Spirit into that moment, into that question. The breath of God is here and he's for you and he wants to bring us all forward into his future vision in the present, his one new family. We're invited into this one new family project. But we have to ask an answer, honestly, So in your head, go ahead and bring to mind the tribe you diminish. Name them. I could never with them, or I could never with that. You do this, I do this. It's the first rule of tribalism. Here's why this is a big deal. If God is on a mission to redeem humanity he has to dismantle this most broken human trait. He has to take on tribalism. So it shouldn't surprise us that racism, racial hostility is the first major challenge to the one new family God was making in the world in Galatia. This should not surprise us. Because what does, what does this redeemed humanity look like? What will it look like? Far from erasing diverse ethnicities, God's not into a colorblind heaven. Far from erasing them and erasing tribes and cultures. No, God's end goal is to sanctify and celebrate all tribes and tongues as unique, equally glorious expressions of his own personality and creativity in the new heavens and new earth. This is what God desires. How do we know this? How, do, how can we be 100% sure that this is his end goal? Because the scriptures end with that vision. Revelation 7, it says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Listen, does that look like those tribes are all absorbed into one heavenly homogeny? No, they're all cleansed and celebrated and presented to the Lamb in their most perfect form. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice. They cried out in a loud voice. What language was it? All of them, <laughs> and perfect unity. How did that work? Just a big yes is how it works. And, and, and we're going to see how it works. And they sang this, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So do you realize what this means? This means our future is Gentile cultures worshiping the Lamb as Gentile cultures in the family. Forever. This means Jewish culture, worshiping the lamb as Jewish culture in the new family of Jesus. And we can expand that out. Look at how expansive the vision is. We can expand it out. Black cultures, Hispanic, Asian, Native American, and European cultures, all beautifully represented in the throne room of King Jesus. Where, by the way, marriage and singleness as we know it will cease. And loneliness will give way to perfect intimacy for everyone in this new family. All of this is the end goal of God. All of this. And get this, being part of the church now means you get to live into all of those future realities right here, right around this table. That is what, that is the mission we're on. So Park Hill Church, we're called to live in San Diego as a preview of that future multicultural vision right now by the power of the Spirit. Again, just think deeply on this. There's, there's Asian, black, white, brown, married, single, gay, straight, male, female, young, old, right, left, and centrist or whatever. Whatever secondary identity that you come from, whatever your background, whatever you come from, the secondary tribe we belong to, God is calling all of us To live faithfully together as his spirit-empowered children in the world submitted to the teachings, all the teachings of Jesus, all the commands of scripture, and and letting those commands cleanse the parts of our cultures and come-froms that don't align with his future as we grow more and more toward one another and toward the Trinitarian creator of love. So, so do you understand this? Every culture has brokenness in it. Every single one. And yet somehow every culture is seen and honored and dressed in white. And We're supposed to live like that now. And so we can't afford to let some secondary tribal identity sabotage that family unity. Because according to Paul, the witness of the gospel itself is at stake. Our unity is the gospel proof that confounds and shames Satan. Our unity puts evil to shame. This is the message of Galatians. Our unity brings healing to the places of brokenness. This is the message of Galatians. This is why we're jumping headlong into this book as a community. So, as Park Hill leaders and as elders, you guys, uh, we're unified on this. Our heart for 2022 is that this would be the year of family. So, six months ago, um, we were all the elders were were. We invited one another to go on a retreat and to bring a word or a scripture or something we sensed for 2022. This was back early summer, 2021. And the word that was brought to my wife's heart was this idea of family, but she was like, I don't know, it seems so kind of generic, she felt. Like family, every church says they're a family. But we want a robust, one new family dynamic actually at work in our communities here where we deepen our understanding of what it means to live in vulnerable community and we truly bear each other's burdens and we make each other dinner when there's not a hospitalization and not a new baby just make each other dinner but we do it on those times too obviously and and this new family we discern together over the big life seasons should i move Should I pursue this relationship? I need my family for this decision. And if you're married in this family, if you're married, you invite unmarried people into your Sabbaths and vacations and family celebrations. And if you're unmarried, you find in non-sexual, vulnerable relationships a deeper intimacy than anyone could ever find in a casual hookup around this table. This is the year we want to be this kind of family as a church. We want to understand what it means. And so we're looking to Galatians to get us there. That's what it's all about. We're not going to break table fellowship over Paul's dead body and over Jesus's broken body and poured out blood. We will not break table fellowship. Who's in? Who's into this? So we're about to come to the table. We're about to come to this table that Paul's getting real riled up about preserving. This table is everything he's fighting for eating and drinking as one united family, celebrating the reality of Jesus. What's the reality? You guys are forgiven. Nothing is required of you other than admitting you need his forgiveness. That's huge. You're forgiven. You're accepted. Nothing is required of you other than I need to belong. And, and Jesus is the eternal kingdom. That will be all there is. And it's good. I need him. I need the king. It's all that's required. I need him. And then you have forgiveness. You have acceptance. And he says, you belong. And, and you guys, that's what this table represents. Listen, so if that's what this table represents, then we would be completely tone deaf if we didn't ask ourselves this question what am I requiring of other people so they will be acceptable to me? As you come to the table of relentless, loving acceptance, we have to deal with that question. So maybe right now, just take a deep breath and invite the Spirit again. To bring to your mind an individual where it's like, what am I requiring of that person? What am I requiring of that family group, that member? What am I requiring of them so that I'll find them acceptable? Yeah. We're going to bring that question all the way to the table. Obviously, you guys, we're not struggling against, you know, with circumcision laws, you know. That was their struggle. Yeah, the, team, the 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 band can come up. That's fine. That's great. So we're not struggling, you know, against Jewish culture. That's not what we're requiring. You know, I, I don't think any of our communities. I could have asked the leaders. I don't think any of those leaders. I don't know Wyatts are you? You know, wrestling with circumcision requirements? Maybe for? No, just kidding. Jokes. So. So, and there's no food requirements, you know, unless you're a judgy vegan and then you need to repent. (laughs) And while we recommend, we recommend Sabbath. That was a Jewish requirement, 100%. We recommend it. We think it's optional though, even though it's healthy and you ignore it at your own mental peril, spiritual peril. But we don't require it because we're not Jewish. We're not tempted to require our Jewish laws. But listen, we are tempted to require other things. Um. And you see versions of this. It's easy social media, low hanging fruit, right? You see versions on social media. I can't imagine a Christian would ever blank. You can't be a Christian if you think that or support him or you see versions of it online. That's that's the low hanging fruit. It's way more subtle and sad and complex in real life right? You know, it's that, you know, if they it's oh, if they say that, they're such a conspiracy theorist. Written off. Diminished. Humanity diminished. Or if they send me one more, if she sends me one more article such a socialist one more socialist article, I can't even take it. And what we're doing is we're requiring them to see reality clearly like I do for them to be acceptable to me instead of opening up in vulnerable curiosity genuine relationship with loving attention Or maybe worse this can be worse we just don't say anything to them anymore blocked This is the exact problem Paul is railing against, blocking people from the table. We settle for broken table fellowship, but the table of Jesus won't let us settle for that. So we're gonna come to the table with this text from another letter. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. It's his famous instructions on how to eat and drink. And after all we've said, And now that we're prepared, next week we're gonna get into Galatians 1, verses one through nine. We're gonna just go through this beautiful intro where Paul starts to seed the letter with little grains of what's coming in later chapters about the beauty of Jesus. But before we get to next week, in light of everything we've said today, envision yourself in the room where Paul is giving you this instruction before you eat and drink. Verse Corinthians eleven seventeen, 17, he says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper you eat. My goodness. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for, plural, all y'all. It's for all of you together, together. Do this, the bread, do the bread in remembrance of me. Yeah. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant. The spirit has come to create one new family out of the two enemies, That's the whole point of the new covenant which this cup represents. Do this remembering me. Otherwise, it's your wine. This isn't the Lord's supper. This is yours. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then... Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Question, what do you think the unworthy manner is? Answer, verse 33. So then, my brothers and sisters, here's the worthy manner. When you gather, you should all eat together guys, this is Jesus in his famous Sermon on the Mount saying, if you come to worship me, you bring your gift for God and realize you have an issue with your sibling, you leave that gift behind, go make it right before you think about offering that gift. So can we stand together and prepare our hearts, prepare the whole community, all all as one family to come and eat and drink together. Just bring this question to the table. What are you requiring of someone? What are you requiring of other people so that they'll be acceptable to you? And just to pray this in, I'm gonna ask you to do something kind of different. As you come to the table, Prayerfully imagine bringing that person with you, holding their hand or your arm around them. Just envision them with you. Bring that person to the table with Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come? Breathe on our unity, breathe on our love. May it be true, may it bear the fruit of obedience. You, that you've made belonging possible how dare we get in that way how dare we stand in the path of your unity in the name of Jesus so church just come forward prayerfully bringing that person with you in the spirit and when you hear the words spoken this is the body of Christ broken for you Know that it's a plural you for you and that person. It's a plural in the text. And then bring it back to your seat and hold on to it. And We'll all eat and drink. We'll have a moment of prayer and song. And that'll be the gathering. Church, let's do this. Let's come to the table right now.